Hello, what is going on? This is In Defense of Liberation. You already know, but if you don't, this is the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement. And that means a proletarian revolution. It means national liberation. It means trans liberation, LGBTQ plus liberation. It means indigenous liberation. So we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about some of that today. We're also going to talk about, uh, just some stuff that I got going on on my mind, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, speak about some of the important things that are happening across the country, but also across the world. Uh, you know, just no big topics whatsoever. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so for folks who haven't tuned in before, this is a morning commute. Basically what that means is you are riding with me in my car on the way to work. So if this isn't the most, uh, well-planned, uh, thought out and prepared, uh, lecture, and that is not something, or I should say, if it isn't, that's because, uh, it's not meant to be, and if that's not what you're looking for, if you're looking for something a little bit more structured, please feel free to check out my interviews with, uh, a couple other, uh, really great comrades, um, or you can check out the, uh, plethora of other fantastic shows, um, yeah, so, starting off, um, with the third world, the global south. So the protests and the struggle in Peru to free, uh, President Pedro Castillo, former president, as they would say, but, uh, who was overthrown in a U.S.-backed coup by Dina Boluarte, who was a former member of the, uh, Peru Libre party but eventually went on to leave and denounce the principles of the party, which she said she never believed in. Um, Since the coup, there has been over 69 protesters who have been killed. There have been hundreds who have been hospitalized. There's been thousands who have been arrested or harassed or beaten. Um, Folks who have traveled, you know, hundreds of miles uh, from the indigenous regions of, well, I should say, (laughs) there's not much of, uh, Peru that is an indigenous region, but, uh, from the Andes, from the mountainous regions, from the more rural areas outside of the city centers, um, and coming in to demand, uh, First of all, three crucial things. The end of the coup government, Dina Boluarte removed and uh, Pedro Castillo uh, freed and placed back in his rightful place of presidency. The second being the dissolution of the reactionary Congress, which helped to throw uh, Pedro Castillo into prison or wherever he may be right now, because we're, as far as I know, I don't, I don't think there's any... 100% confirmable data about where exactly he resides. Um, He was under military, like, house arrest for a while um, 
after they kidnapped him. But the third being a new constitution. Um, now, these three are important because, I mean, first of all, getting rid of the coup government, that's something that the neighboring Bolivia did recently back in 2019, 2020. So this is like, uh, you know, obviously they don't want to sit with a government that was instilled by an outside reactionary force uh, with the help of the internal reactionary forces. Uh, but also because the freedom of Pedro Castillo is... Uh, you know, inherently important to the political freedom of individuals and of political parties around the world, which, of course, we know doesn't really exist, but in order to not only point out that contradiction and show that it doesn't exist, but also to struggle for uh, pressure on the uh, coup government to have to release Pedro Castillo due to social and political pressure, um, is important for his own safety and also for the motiva motivation of the people. The second point, the dissolution of the Congress, is a little bit more nitty-gritty. So the Congress in Peru is an uh, institution that has been basically dominated by the far right and the U.S.-backed forces since the establishment of independence. Um, of course, this is a situation that is pretty similar to a lot of uh, third world nations, whether it be Latin America, the Americas, whether it be Africa or Asia, um, neocolonialism in the new form of imperialism after the uh, independence movements of the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, and 80s, I should say, and onward to today. Um, there is a sham independence where uh, individuals or forces who are willing to sell their soul and also sell out their people uh, to the highest bidder are able to uh, enshrine themselves in government or authority positions uh, and establish their wealth and their control through uh, these bureaucratic or military uh, comprador bourgeoisie uh, lifestyles. Um, <clears throat> and the uh, Congress in that way is like a, a plain example. And Peru and other, um, you know, Latin American nations have had to struggle with uh, a pretty consistently funded and armed far right, which has enshrined itself in the political uh, apparatus and social spaces even, as well as religious spaces and, of course, economic and uh, property-owning spaces. Um, and the left forces and the progressive forces in general have had to struggle against, if not outright assassination, um, imprisonment, uh, kidnapping, lawfare, coups, etc. So the dissolution of the Congress in a re-election would give the people an opportunity to actually demonstrate their popular will which is evident in the streets, but to be able to uh, codify that, um, which in cases like Chile, uh, you'll remember with the constitutional referendum, um, was incapable of enshrining that electoral victory uh, as far as they uh, could have and would have liked to. Uh, fuck Gabriel Boric, just real quick. Don't like that dude. 
don't trust him. Um, but anyways, uh, the third being a constitutional referendum, a rewriting of the Constitution of Peru. Um, if I am remembering correctly, um, and this is important because, of course, a lot of the constitutional, uh, uh, legalities and, uh, forms of government, of popular power, of trade union rights, of housing rights, of, uh, policing, of women and LGBTQ plus rights, etc., um, all of these are caught up oftentimes in a constitution which is often in formerly colonized nation written by the colonizers or their offspring and compromisers, compradors, the folks who are willing to work with them, right? Or at least alongside them. So this is just one country that I think folks should be paying attention to because there's a lot of um, violence which is happening due to the uh, quote-unquote aid that is being provided by the U.S. and NATO forces. Um, Another development in the third world that I think is worth uh, paying attention to is the recent announcement by Mali and Burkina Faso to uh, develop their strategy for federation. Uh, Now, this topic I'm not as well versed on, so I'm not going to spend too much time coming up with the details, but uh, historically speaking, of course we know Africa was carved up by the colonizers. Uh, The borders, the nation-states that exist... um, are not necessarily determined by Africans. And so because of that, uh, it is important that when uh, things like this come up, we, A, don't just celebrate without context. We look into it and we understand the, the developments on the ground as best as we can and maybe what some of the reasons or calls behind this move would be. Uh, This is something that I'm actively working on now. Uh, But the second being that we realize that any move by uh, colonized people to decolonize, to root out the ways in which the imperialist powers still are able to dominate uh, their existence is crucial to the global movement against the neo-colonial imperialist powers. Now, if folks are confused by these words, please let me know. I never want to be talking past anyone, and I never want to be saying things uh, assumedly like, uh, you know, everyone knows, because I definitely know that it wasn't until recently that I really even understood these words quite fully. So definitely please reach out if you're ever confused or have any questions or just want more information on something. Another development which is important is uh, the 
recent visit by uh, Iranian diplomat to China, which was the first time that a government official from Iran uh, went to China on a diplomatic visit, like an officially uh, sanctioned visit. Uh, The discussion, of course, can be found... Well, parts of what were discussed can be found online. Um, But what I wanted to talk about is just the fact that here you see an example, again, of colonized people, people suffering from imperialism, from the woes of and the symptoms of capitalism, who are taking a conscious and autonomous step towards new relationships and new outlets for opportunities, for development, for solidarity. And I think we can look at any government, any administration, and find things, if you look hard enough, especially when people are looking for those things, that you don't like. If you look at the different governments in West Asia, in Latin America, in Europe, in North America, in Africa, and in Australia, and around the world, everywhere, you will always, this is just, that's just how contradictions, how life existence works. There's positives and negatives to everything. So you can always find something wrong, something you personally don't like, or something that is legitimately harmful to the people in probably, I would assume, just about every government. However, I would insist that in cases where socialism is being developed, it is the least likely to expect harmful, dictatorial, oppressive standards and procedures and policies. This is backed up by history. If you read not just the history that's coming out of the former colonizing and current colonizing nations. Our media, of course, is going to paint the Russia-China relationship, the relationship between Iran and China, the relationship that's developing between Iran and other West Asian nations, the relationships that are developing between China and Africa, China and Latin America, China and the rest of Asia, the development of the Belt and Road Initiative, things like this will always, 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 not only just be painted negatively by our media, but also, you know, have the real-life opportunity to have mistakes, 
to have contradictions, and to have critiquable, uh, you know, operation. So, the thing is, what are we doing about it? We have, in this country, a very real fight on our hands that I find myself and others not attuned to. That fight being the fight against fascism. Now, fascism is not a rigid character. It's not a Hitler caricature. It's not a Mussolini caricature. It's not the formulation of fascism which was developed in Spain or in Portugal or in African nations under colonialism. It's not the fascism which was developed in Poland or in Switzerland or in Finland or in Ukraine. And it's certainly not the fascism which existed and still exists all around the world outside of the context here in the United States. The reality is this. Fascism, like everything else, takes on the particular characteristics of the society, the environment, the time, and the period which it exists in. This means that in the United States, fascism looks different than fascism looks around the world. That's point one. Point two is that fascism has a lot of different outlets that it can work through. Similarly to folks who understand the role of communists in everything, the want to try to be involved everywhere and to try to help people, to organize people, to learn from people in all avenues, the fascists and uh, other reactionary forces like evangelicals and religious extremists use the same strategy in order to try to take advantage of the people's minds, to try to confuse the people, to try to take advantage of their popular will, because ultimately what the fascists are looking for is power, and power over an ignorant mass which is willing to labor for extremely cheap under the guise of national uh, solidarity of uh, solidarity for the nation uh, where they subscribe to things like the traditional family which is not only a fetish but it is also a fascist tool for uh, bigotry against trans and LGBTQ plus people generally fascism is also a modus operandi of taking away any and all achieved uh, rights, political power, social relationships, economic control that the mass of people have developed to that point. Because as folks point out, fascism is capitalism in crisis, but more importantly, fascism is capitalism in its face, in its pure naked form. Similarly to the colonialism which existed uh, during the transatlantic slave trade and the genocide of indigenous populations beginning in the Americas. Uh, This process, right, this pattern, this way of governing is fascistic in nature. Uh, 
fascism can be seen in its developing forms all the way back as far as ancient uh, Rome, ancient Greece, um, ancient Athens. The reality in the North American context is that being such that we exist in the imperialist core, we have a real face-to-face fight, a toe-to-toe scrap uh, coming up with the largest, most powerful uh, military and political power in the world. Now, I don't say this to scare off anyone who scares easily, but I say this to have us deal with the reality in front of us, which is that if we think the 800 plus military bases around the world, the consistent coup attempts across the globe, the military, economic, political, and social domination, which is experienced in colonized and formerly colonized nations around the world, if we don't think that those things directly apply to us and serve as lessons, then we are failing ourselves. And also, we are failing our responsibility to throw off the imperial shackles from the colonized world along with them in their struggles under the guidance of the colonized and oppressed people themselves. This is important to understand because when we're thinking about uh, something like revolution, right? Revolution is a process by which the former uh, capitalist, imperialist, um, racist, sexist, uh, ableist, uh, and uh, other forms of oppressive rule and law and social control and media are gutted out by a concerted effort of the organized masses along with their public uh, administration and government which is made up of the people. That is what a revolution and a revolutionary process looks like. It's where the economic mode of production and uh, productive forces along with the um, resources the labor force, the um, commodities that are sold, the entirety of the nations and the people's uh, existence, land and power is thwarted from the oppressors is taken back from the slaveholders and granted to and taken by the people themselves. This process is a generational one. It's an apocal one. It goes on because a lot of the things that, you know, any government, any people group, who lives in or lives outside of a certain society could point to and say this needs to be fixed 
that doesn't necessarily mean that the government or the people in power have the means and, you know, opportunities to resolve those things. So, in that sense, you know, take a country like Iran, I don't really give a shit what you think about... And you know what? It's also not important. It doesn't matter what you think about this government or this society, right? It's important what you know, what you can study and know. And it's also important to understand the historical context with which this nation came into existence. And the difficulties which the empires in Europe and then in North America have placed upon the Iranian revolution in order to stop it from being able to really uh, build on the people's wants and needs. In the United States right now, one of the biggest struggles, uh, which I don't even like that. Let me start that over. In the U.S., one of the many big struggles, because they're all very important, and there's a lot of them, is right now the struggle against the oppression and repression of LGBTQ plus peoples. Now, of course, this is a historical phenomenon which has been going on as far back as, you know, time could tell uh, in class society. In the 30s and 40s, right, in the fascist nations, not just Germany, one of the biggest tools for social, social control was the idea of the traditional family, and the idea of sexual, uh, like, um, rigidity and, uh, the development of the family as the, like, the nucleus of the nation, um, for the sake of manipulation. Now, I'm trans. I recently came to this conclusion, so... It's, it's, it's a struggle, especially because of the period which we existed. But I'm glad that I came to during this period because it, it's been pushing me to want to talk about and do more about this. Um, so trans folks, you know, not in particular, but in this sense, I want to speak about the reality which trans people generally are kind of, well, not kind of, they are dealing with today. That reality being that, uh, you know, for example, in Tennessee, a law was written and passed that effectively can be used as a tool against any and all uh, people who identify as uh, trans, as non-binary, who might Uh, do drag, who might cross-dress, who might just simply like wearing clothes that aren't uh, apparently assigned to their gender, um, can be ticketed for a misdemeanor for male or female impersonation. And a second offense can be a felony and five years jail time. Now, that passed. That's in existence in Tennessee right now. 
of course, we've all been hearing about uh, Ron DeSantis and what's going on with the Don't Say Gay bills and all the other uh, bills against teaching African history, against uh, talking about LGBTQ plus issues. Uh, This, unfortunately, is not new, nor is the ban in Tennessee. But these are two examples to say that this is becoming more and more a... uh, rolling snowball shall we say so like i said i'm trans this is a new revelation for me um for a lot of us it takes you know quite a bit of soul searching and time to really understand these things and it's normally like a you know a lifelong process to understand what that even means to a person because it does mean different things to different people um to say me being trans does not look like what it means to be trans for everyone else who is. Um, I like makeup. I like dressing, uh, you know, differently than I was allowed to growing up. Um, wearing dresses, stuff like that. I, uh, you know, use she, her pronouns. Um, not always in public because... transphobia, you know, but, um, that's not where everyone's at, and that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're not trans, I'm not trans, that someone is more trans than someone else, all it means is that every one of us, and excuse me while I crush up this, uh, bagel wrapper, every one of us is at a different point in our journey, And that's okay. Um, It's actually really important that you understand that that is a part of the process. That I understand that as well. I'm kind of talking to myself here a little bit. But, um, you know, if you don't want to transition, if you want to take HRT, if you don't feel any of that applies to you, like, you don't have to do it. Um, You're equally as trans (laughs) trust me everyone will still you know hate you just the same every fascist will still hate you just the same i shouldn't say everyone my point was every fascist but um but this struggle right the trans struggle the struggle for liberation for lgbtq plus people generally um has its own internal contradictions and also uh, twofold cannot be limited to its uh, single issue scope and also cannot be drawn out of the revolutionary class struggle context into an individual identity uh, struggle. Because unfortunately in these cases, um, things like race, gender, um, things like uh, religion, it's difficult to struggle for full liberation in that case when you often will be isolated or are, you know, ultimately self-isolating by uh, simply focusing on this <coughs> on one issue or on one particular struggle. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and instead, something that a lot of us need to, myself included, learn how to do better is find ways that our particular struggle can be uplifted 
as a struggle that maybe commonly gets left unheard or un, uh, you know, supported, um, or it's just a struggle that seemingly, um, it could also be just a struggle that people don't really understand, right? I'm just going to be a little bit more mean. Um, and that's something that you have to find a way to connect to the other struggles which are taking place. Like, <clears throat> if you're in a labor union, you can form a uh, caucus or a committee on trans rights, on African people's struggle, on uh, the railroad issue that's going on, on uh, reproductive rights and reproductive justice. Um, you can join organizations which might have, for example, tenant organizing as their central focus, but who understand that when it comes to tenant organizing, you're also going to need to know who's giving out food. You got to know who's giving out clothes. You got to know who's, you know, hiring. You got to know local community members for babysitting, for uh, defense programs. You got to know folks who can drive. You got to know uh, folks who are involved in police abolition work, folks who are involved in legislative work, um, because that's how you make a struggle holistic and allow a struggle to take on a revolutionary character, which again, seeks to take away any and all forms of subjugation that the oppressing class still remains uh, in charge of, whether that be economic, social, political, or otherwise. So when it comes to the idea of class struggle, right? All of us who are oppressed, all of us who are working class, all of us who are surviving off of the backs and the skin of our own labor <clears throat> or off of the state or just off of, you know, side gigs and making money however we can, we belong to the oppressed class. So class struggle means whatever that that class needs, whether it be national liberation in Africa, liberation for trans people in North America, whether it be reproductive justice or police uh, community control of police or police abolition, whether it be legislation and policy in place for health care, or whether it be some combination of all of the above plus more. A uh, class struggle understands that each one of these things is important to the overall movement of us as a class, as a people, as a humanity, right, as a human species, towards emancipation and liberation from all forms of oppression. So if we want that reality to come true, if we want the working and oppressed classes in power, we have to understand that having power is not enough. It's not the end-all be-all. But that struggle for true liberation for all peoples is the importance and the reality that comes with having power and why we want power to be able to change these things, to take hold of our own destiny, of our own history, of our own resources, and fight for a world where the people, right, generally, the masses of people... Um, oppressed people, oppressed nations, formerly colonized peoples, go on to be able to 
have that same control, that same power, that same uh, autonomy over their existence as not only uh, an individual, but as a nation, as a human species, and as a struggling population. So, lastly, before we go here, I just want to say that, you know, what's happening in Peru and what is happening in Palestine and what is happening in Yemen and what is happening in Somalia and what is happening in Eritrea and Ethiopia and what is happening in Hawaii, in uh, Boricua, in uh, or Borinquen, excuse me, uh, what is happening in uh, Guam, what is happening in uh, North America, in Europe, in Asia, Africa. All of these things have connections. That doesn't mean that they don't have their individual, particular, or specific characteristics and importance and significance and struggles. But what it does mean is that if we are to focus individually on any one of these things, be it race, gender, poverty, um, disability, if we do not see how these things are connected to one another, we will fight alone. And we will fight a losing battle because we are alone. Now, this is a difficult question because a lot of people understand that just because someone is a communist or just because someone is interested in disability advocacy or just because someone is trans doesn't mean that they care about these things. So our objective is, if you're listening to this show, if you agree with me, if you think this is what we need to be doing, then our goal is to fight for and work towards a reality where these things are struggled against, where reactionism, wherever it exists, is struggled against by the revolutionary and progressive forces within society. Now, that doesn't mean go arguing and fighting with every single person you come across who has an ignorant belief or idea, because you're either going to go to jail or you're going to have a lot of bruises, because... these fascists and reactionaries, all they really do is fight. <laughs> well, not all of them. I should say some of them are pussies. But, oh, I shouldn't use that word. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, a lot of them actually are uh, tuned to fascism because of the lack of uh, feelings of safety and comfortability that uh, come with a somewhat privileged and protected lifestyle as a uh, white person in a white power society but um, yeah the the reality goes something like this that uh, if we don't get ourselves to a point where we can defend ourselves against the fascists against the reactionaries where we can struggle against the backward opinions and backward practices and habits of people, whether it be in our schools, in our unions, in our families, in our friend groups, or in our organizations, it is important that we do all that we can to really fight against uh, an anti-revolutionary, an anti-liberatory uh ideology, strategy, 
theory, etc. We don't need nonviolence. We don't need love and acceptance of our oppressors. And we certainly don't need to give them the opportunity to kill us. So, <clears throat> go on shaping people's minds, struggling to help folks to understand the reality in front of them, to root out the reactionary behaviors that you and I have, that our friends have, that our comrades have. But also remember that at the end of the day, this is a process that will take generations far more generations than you and I will be around for. So if we want this to succeed, we have to struggle for the long term together and find inroads with one another. Because revolution is an ideology of love. And if you don't love your comrades enough to help them fight against these ideas and behaviors, if you don't love the people enough to help them fight against reactionism and against oppression, then you are not a revolutionary and you are not a communist and you are not a socialist. That goes to me and everyone who's listening. So before uh, I ramble on again for any longer, I just want to say all power to the people. I will talk to you soon.